Good morning. My name is Melanie C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater and host for the Sunday Special Edition. Welcome to you all. Today is Sunday, May 14, 2014. The share IDs for Friday, May 12, 2017, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 9933-9933. And for our 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, the share ID number is 9936-9936. On Sundays, we gather in one place to enjoy the miracles of recovery by studying, oh, let me say this rather, studying that we do during the week is placed to the side only for a single demonstration of the transformed lives of the storyteller, panelist, or teacher that we will enjoy today. We enjoy in real life as we listen to the promises of recovery. A Vision for You Today presents a new freedom, a personal story. From the depths of this disease to now living happy, joyous, and free, our fellow visionary will take you on a spiritual journey. How far will this disease go to take me down? Is it the same for everyone? What will it be that will take, what will it be that will take to shovel me out of this deal? Will I have that shovel put away only to steal it back again from another? Determining the depth of this disease is an, is an elusive thing. You might recognize this line. Surely I don't have to go as far as some of you fellows did. You know, for me personally, because I really wanted to change. Well, that may just happen for some of you. And some of us will have lost it all, yet still have a bright idea for stopping come morning. Disease has no mercy. And as predictable as it can be, there is no thinking our way out of this. But just try and stand by and watch a fellow fully recover from the depth of their eyes that's the death within it and confusion coming from their lips to being fully released from food obsession. This is a promise on page 133, to be happy, joyous, and free. Any and all will be stunned and amazed. Life is good. Today we will hear just such a story from one of our very own. She is living a program of attraction. Her genuine loyalty of service at A Vision for You is so appreciated. It's just so beautiful to watch a life being fulfilled within her. This big book is being affirmed again and again. Follow along because we are going to pick up from her story what is promised to each of us when we surrender it all to the 12 Steps program that's outlined in the big book. Listen for the steps. Listen for the promises. This story is not a mystery. It is a miracle of recovery. Please help me welcome to the line this morning, Maura Z. Good morning, Melanie C., and thank you um, for that very generous introduction. Um, my name is Morzy. I am a very gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. <clears throat> and um, I think I have to start with a little bit of um, humility and uh, honesty and reality this morning. I was panic-stricken this morning. And thank God I have the steps. And I could call a fellow and I could do a 10th step. 
and and learn a little bit more about myself and the fact that I had yet again fallen into the pit of self-reliance as opposed to God-reliance and uh, was able to turn it around and know that whatever it is I'm going to say for the next 35 minutes or so is going to be what God plans. And um, I have no control. I am very blessed this morning and very honored to have been asked. So um, I will tell you that I have written some notes, and I will follow along. Excuse me. Um, but um, I hope to uh, I hope to just be able to share some of my experience, strength, and hope. And I hope that if only one person hears something that helps them to put down the food and to pick up the big book, then I have done God's work this morning. So basically, I um, whew, I had a pretty happy childhood, actually. I was very grateful. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I am actually going to start my timer because otherwise I might just ramble on. So I'm just going to give myself 30 minutes, and hopefully I will I will actually speak for 30 minutes. I can uh, I can I can tend to speak quickly, um, although not as quickly as I used to. But anyway, so um, as I was saying, I had a very happy childhood and um, a pretty much typical adolescence. Uh, the usual self-loathing, feeling less than, and uh, time to time wishing I wasn't. Um, it was hard. Um, going through puberty when your mom is going through menopause is not a very happy condition. And uh, But I lived through it. So did my mom. Came out with some battle scars. Pretty much my weight has been normal, had been normal um, growing up. We played outside on the street. We didn't have smartphones and video games and such. Uh, so we were outside. We were running. And uh, I was a very active kid. Uh, one of our favorite family pastimes, however, was, and I am one of four girls, uh, was competing amongst my sisters uh, with, you know, who could eat more than daddy, depending upon the food. And uh, so um, adolescence was not very happy for me. And as I said, there, was, there were battles royale with me and my mom. I was absolutely blessed to be able to go away to college and uh, went to actually live with my oldest sister um and uh stayed with her for the first semester because we didn't quite figure out how to work the dormitory situation when I first went away to school. She became basically my best binge buddy. But I was a happier person in college and my mood and my self-esteem seemed to improve. I was obviously happy to be out of my parents' house and away from mom. Um but I I even though I was um a great student all through school and high school and, and had very good grades. I um, kind of 
became quite the slug in college. I, um, I became very relaxed. I made friends. And I spent a lot of time getting stoned and sleeping around and skipping classes and dieted. I have no idea why, except to say that all my roommates, all the popular girls, they were all preoccupied with losing weight. And it was weird because they didn't look to me like they needed to lose weight. Pictures of me that I, I was rummaging through the other day, um, from that time, I didn't look like I needed to be losing weight. But there I was. And unfortunately, the dieting actually caused me to gain weight. And I went from about 115 to about 140. Um, and I'm only five feet tall. So um, it was not it was not fun from a from an eating standpoint. It it really started to to get going. Um, but after four years and a whopping point one nine six GPA, ah, I left school. I left college and got a job, and then was married two years later. The marriage was not great, and um, you know the first few years were good. But it, it turned into a, a very um, emotionally abusive marriage, um, which kept me eating, which, of course, kept me getting bigger, which only, you know, irritated him more. And so intimate-wise, um, that had fallen off, and I was rebuffed many, many times. And uh, that was hard to live with. So I tried all kinds of diets. I was the queen of infomercials. Oh, my gosh. All of them. And I won't name names because that's an outside issue. But I, I bought probably $700 worth of diets. And some of them I actually opened and used. And some were put in the trash, not even having been opened. Um, and that was pretty much my life. And then in 1993, the bottom fell out. And I'm going to try to get through this without crying, but please bear with me. My younger sister was killed in a car crash on Christmas Eve. And she was 30 years old. She had just turned 30. And she had just celebrated three years clean and sober. I was obviously grief-stricken. I was in shock. And I was freaking pissed off at God because it made no sense. My mom was in hospice for crying out loud. Why would you take a healthy 30-year-old when my mom is dying and suffering in hospice? So I can clearly remember sitting on my sister's living room floor, screaming at the top of my lungs, staring up, and telling him that you took the wrong one, you son of a bitch. I was pissed. I was angry for so long. Mary, um, pretty ironic that she died on Christmas Eve. And um, by the way, did I mention I'm Jewish? So, yeah, that was kind of weird. But Mary was the only one of my three sisters that ever really showed me any consistent kindness and love. She actually interceded on, in, on, on my behalf when my older sister Sherry's bullying became more out of line than usual. And of course, I didn't realize this until later, but 
It was all about me and my pain and hurt and fear. It was, you know, how dare you take Mary from me? I needed her for what she could do for me. How selfish. Oh, my gosh. So the pain subsides a little bit here and there, but the anger never, never subsided. I wore that anger like a badge of honor, and it all but consumed me. Of course, I only knew one way to handle all those painful feelings and what I considered to be very righteous anger. And so I buried my face in a bag of people chow and pretty much never came up for air. I did work some diets from time to time, and I lost some, and I'd stopped dieting, and I'd gained more back. Three weeks after my sister Mary's death, my older sisters, who had decided not to tell my mom, finally decided to tell my mom. And so 26 days after Mary was taken, mom finally let go and passed. So two and a half years prior to that, I'd lost my father. So within three years, half of my family was gone. And for the next seven years, I was pretty much a zombie. Life was not life. It was not living. It was a miserable existence. And I moved through the days, painful days, one day at a time. No true happiness. Occasional, you know, periods of um, being glad or, you know, lighthearted or what have you. But anger robbed me of all my joy. And uh, somehow I, uh, I decided I needed to change. I needed to stop being a spectator in my own life. I needed to start being a participant again. How long could I possibly sit in this? Um, my ego, of course, wanted me to sit in it for the rest of my life, face down in the food. Um, but I knew I had to change. And so I decided, of all things, to go back to college because... After four years and a point one nine six GPA, I didn't have a degree. So I took my, I don't know how many legitimate credits, and I went over to Marymount University, and I met with the dean, and we worked out a plan. And it was going to take me two and a half years to graduate. And uh, it was a long time to think it was going to take me that long, but I was working full time. So I was only going to be able to take one or two classes every semester. And during my time um, in school, um, I was working on a liberal arts degree. And it was going to be basically two areas of concentration, one in psychology and one in business. So that's where most of my legitimate credits were in. And there was a class called the Psychology of Addiction. And I signed up for it because I wanted to understand Mary's life in and out of recovery because I never really got it, never really understood it. Because by all outward appearances, she was doing great. She had a job, you know, she had a car, she was living her life, you know. So she got, you know, drunk on weekends and she partied and stuff, you know, okay. All, all young people do that. I didn't see it. I didn't see that it was 
being taken to the extreme. And I also didn't see that she was popping narcotic pain pills. And, uh, and she actually worked for a doctor's office. So unfortunately, she had access to them and he kept writing scripts. And I never did understand that after the fact. But anyway, so the syllabus actually included a section on eating disorders. And that's where God stepped in. And the text actually referred to Overeaters Anonymous and included the 12 steps. So I saw some things that I related to, but I wasn't convinced. Um, but I did decide to do my term paper on compulsive overeating. And on April 4th, 1999, which turned out to be Easter Sunday, another irony, um, I went to the 1030 newcomers meeting, um, which preceded their 11th step meeting. And it was at Fairfax Hospital. And I had a little bit of trouble getting to that meeting because that was the same hospital and possibly the same room, meeting room, um, that my sister and I had attended the um, family classes for the in-treatment patients um, for the, you know, alcoholic and drug treatment center that my sister had checked into when she was 12-stepped. And uh, so that was kind of weird, but it was also the hospital that Mary had died in. And so I went because I had to do this leap in term paper, but it was with a heavy heart. Um, I remember when I was walking into the building, there was a bunch of people outside smoking, and they were waiting to go into an AA meeting or whatever, some kind of meeting. I think it was AA. So was that odd or was it God stepping in again? I sat at that newcomer meeting and I listened to a woman I didn't know, never met before, while she told my story. And I cried for 30 minutes. Um, I couldn't believe I was the only one who did. I wasn't the only one who did what I did with food. I'd eaten frozen food. We didn't have microwaves back in the day. Yes, I'm old eating out of trash cans, eating from other people's plates, eating until I couldn't breathe. Eating until I couldn't breathe. I would get up, go and change out of my jeans and put on sweatpants and continued eating. I sat alone in the dark um, after my husband went to bed because he worked at the post office. And so he was getting up at like, I don't know, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. So he was going to bed at like 8 o'clock. So I sat there. And you know, with my bags and my boxes in the dark watching TV and a lot of times just numb. I, I would wake up the next morning and see the trash that I had emptied a box of this or I'd emptied a bag of that and, and not even be able to recall, excuse me, having eaten it, having finished it. I knew I had eaten it, but I didn't realize I had finished, finished it. And I don't know, maybe some of you can relate to that experience. Um, I also couldn't believe that someone felt, someone else felt as badly about herself as I did. She shared openly with me. I mean, intimate details of her life, and she was a complete stranger. She didn't know me. So we went then to the 11th step meeting, and eye-opening is an understatement. 
and I continued my crying for another hour and a half. They asked me, I guess I might have been one of the only newcomers that day, so they asked me if I wanted to read, and they handed me the AA 12 and 12 and asked me to read the 11th step prayer. And it's on page 99, by the way. Um, I could barely get through it. I was, I was just, I was raw, and it really spoke to me. And so that's when my new life was about to begin. And though I didn't know it then, and then God, you know, steps in again. I have been in OA since 99. So it's about 17, 18 years. And I've had many periods of what I thought was abstinence over the first 14 years. I believed that as long as I had more days abstinent than not, that I was living in recovery, and life was pretty good, except I wasn't, and it wasn't. I had read the big book many times. In fact, I was required to read the doctor's opinion every time I succumbed to the disease and picked up. So, I don't know, I probably read it 15 times and answered questions. But I'd read it. I never studied it. And after, you know, 14 years, I became very disillusioned with the OA program and the way I was working it. And I began thinking about leaving OA. And that just scared the poo out of me. I mean, what the heck could I possibly do? What would happen in my life if I left OA? I mean, it was, it was chilling. It was chilling. So even though it wasn't necessarily perhaps working for me and I wasn't where I wanted to be, it was a hell of a lot better than where I had been before. And I wasn't, I wasn't willing to trade that. So I kept coming back. And, um, but as I said, I became very disillusioned. Because for me, just for me, OA had become a nine-tool program of abstinence and not a 12-step program of recovery. I hated life abstinent. I didn't realize why, but I was white-knuckling it all the time. And all my energy was focused on food, not eating, eating, not picking up. It was, it was all I could think about. When was I going to get my next fix? Or when was I not going to get it, and when was I going to just be able to breathe? Um, but I was so desperately terrified of losing my abstinence. And, uh, you know, my white-knuckled abstinence, as they say. The obsession of the food at that time did actually become worse than before. Because before, it wasn't necessarily that I obsessed about the food all day long. It was just kind of an undercurrent that I knew I was going to eat. I knew what I was going to eat. I was planning my food, you know, and so on and so forth. But it wasn't, it was the norm. It was my normal. It was my normal. It was my truth at the time. But being abstinent was, was worse for me. So 
after 14 years in OA, when I was finally blessed to find someone in whom the problem had been solved, my eyes were opened. It was, it was as if I had been blind and all of a sudden I could see. I have an allergy of the body that compels me to continue eating. And should I be able to stop for a time, a strange mental blank spot that won't let me stay stopped. This was revolutionary to me. And I had to admit that it was my truth. No wonder I could never stay abstinent. Because I had continued ingesting my alcoholic foods and ingredients. There's no way I was going to be able to stay abstinent. So I worked the steps as I had never before. And a very subtle, um, imperceptible change occurred in me. That's the word, imperceptible. I realized I was not thinking about food at all. I have no idea when it happened. I just realized one day that the obsession had been lifted. And I acknowledged the gift of being recovered in August of 2013. And all I could think was, holy cow, Batman, how did that happen? I was finally free. It was a complete, completely different way of living. I realized I wasn't reacting to life as much, that I was living life, and I was participating at last. I was actually participating, no longer the spectator. And I started to know what life was like to live as a compulsive overeater in a state, in a state of recovery, being recovered compulsive overeater. And life was fabulous. Right? Sure. Life is great. I'm recovered. Everything is wonderful. I'm going and doing. I'm keeping busy. Mm, not so much. Because my 10 steps had become fewer and farther between. And my 11 steps were non-existent. So now if you want to get out your big books, I've got some quotes for you. And some of these I've kind of tweaked a little bit to makes sense for my life. So on page 35, all went time, all, <laughs> let's do that again. All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Page 36. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that I could have no added sugar Frozen yogurt. Back on 36, I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but I felt reassured as there was no added sugar. 36 again. That didn't seem to bother me. So one time a week became twice a week became four times a week. And then I decided I could add sugar-free cookies back into my food plan since there's no sugar in them. So because there's no sugar, I'm still obstinate. Funny thing, though, 
I wasn't sharing any of this little experiment with my sponsor. I didn't need to because I was recovered. She trusted me. So there I am in August 2014, a year later, on vacation, having a fabulous time, and still believing I was abstinent. But instead of counting out three cookies for one serving, three sugar-free cookies for one serving, I grabbed the bag. And the three cookies per serving became one bag per serving. And I wasn't surprised. How could I be? I knew that as soon as I picked up that bag, it would be empty when I was done. So I called my sponsor immediately. Well, actually, immediately to an active act to an active addict was actually the next day. Because at that point I was living in my disease again. From the point I first picked up that no sugar added frozen yogurt, I had succumbed to my disease. And I was in denial. And that started back in, I think, maybe April. And it took me until August to uh, jump out of the river of denial. I had succumbed again to this disease. But this time, it helped me to make a significant reduction to my ego. And since then, I've worked these 12 steps every day. I rarely have a day without a 10th step. In fact, this morning, 30 minutes before I was to check in on the line, I was panic stricken. And I called a fellow and I said, I have to do a 10th step now. Because I was afraid of speaking on the line. I was comparing myself to all the speakers I'd ever heard. I was not as dramatic or I was too dramatic. I was going to be stumbling over my words. I was going to not be able to answer the questions they would have for me. I mean, everything negative. And, of course, doing the 10th step, I realized what it was I was afraid of. And I realized I had again slipped into self-reliance and had let go of God and was not relying on God. And so what would God have me be? God would have me be patient with myself and loving and accepting of his help and being um, in faith and turning it over to him. And realizing that whatever I say was what I was meant to say. Because they're God's words. Because before I share at any time, I say the third step prayer. So that I can remind myself that it's God's words and God's message. And I am only a messenger. And so I was able to do some deep breathing and pick up the phone and dial in. And I'll tell you, doing 10 steps, what an amazing way to let go of a fear or a resentment in a matter of minutes. Instead of taking up space in my head rent-free for, you know, three hours or a day or a week. It was a great lesson in humility. It was a great lesson in humility. 
I learned I do not have control over any part of my life, or yours for that matter. I am not Miss OA. I am not all that in a bag of chips. I am, gratefully, a recovered compulsive overeater for today and only today. When I start living in a future that isn't here yet, like freaking out about what's going to happen when I speak at the meeting, I have to remind myself, it's just Sunday. It's just Sunday, Maura. In other words, take it one day at a time. Stop living in the future. And that is something I say a lot. And in fact, I say it a lot to my sponsees. Um, I had no idea how to live in this world with or without food before I found the rooms of OA. I had no clue. Um, when I succumbed to the desire again in August 2014, I was terrified. How could I have let slip the gift that I had been given? The answer was easy. I had stopped aligning my will with God's. Thankfully, I don't have to be perfect, and I kept coming back. I have never left the rooms of OA. I work the steps way more carefully these days and thoroughly. But, you know, I, I, had, I had been convinced years before, you know, many times before that I'd also worked the steps as best as I could. And, uh, but I am like that, that proverbial onion we hear tell of, and God lets me know when it's time to peel another layer. And I have no idea there's a whole lot more layers to get peeled. One thing I have come to learn and believe is that relapse is not inevitable. So back to the big book, if you want to join me on page 85. Flipping pages. It is, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve, contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. I am so blessed to live free from anger, page 66. Free from the bondage of self, page 63. Freedom from self-will, page 87. Freedom from compulsive overeating, free from self-loathing, free from feeling less than, free from perfectionism, oh my gosh, free from needing to be right, free from needing you to like me. And of course, I know a new freedom and a new happiness. Recently, I've been blessed with reuniting my sisters after two years of estrangement. My sister Mary taught me a lesson in humility and forgiveness, and I was able to accept my sisters back into my life. Another miracle. And I completely believe in my heart 
that my sister Mary 12th stepped me into the rooms from heaven. I believe that. Otherwise, I don't think I would have taken that class. And I've been blessed to receive many of the promises in the big book. Um, the promises from step one on page eight, the promises from step three on page 63, the promises for step four on page 70, the promises for step five on page 75, and of course the ninth step promises on page 83. I, um, I wrote these notes on my return from my second trip to World Service Business Conference as a delegate from the Tidewater Intergroup and in Virginia in Region 7. And this is a level of service I never dreamed I would be able to do or have the opportunity to do. As long as I continue to work the 12 steps to the very best of my ability, one day at a time, I will give service. Page 89, frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. At my first meeting in April 1999, I heard something that spoke. That spoke straight to the hole I had tried to fill with food. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous. Welcome home. And with that, I pass. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you so much, Maura. You shared so much of your, of your story and your life with us today and so appreciate that. What a touching story of, of what the promises really do deliver applied that are from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We'll ask Maura to leave her contact information at the conclusion of this recording, so st please stand by for that. But for now, we'll open up the lines to those that have, might have questions today for Maura. Press star one in order to be able to be heard, and we can gather your questions for her. Who would like to ask a question of Maura? Lisa B. Hi, Lisa B. Good morning. Good morning. Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina. Good morning again, Anne-Marie M. Thank you. Anybody else? Kathy Kay. Hi, Kathy Kay. I got you, too. Thanks. That sounds like a great lineup. Good morning, Lisa B. What would be your question for Maura? Good morning. This is Lisa B., a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you, Melanie, for your service. Thank you, Maura Z. I, your share was beautiful. Thank you for being so generous with yourself and giving so much of yourself and your honesty. And you said something that just really perked my ears up. You said, and I think it's so important, you said relapse is not inevitable. I think that's what you said. And I would love if you could elaborate on that, please. Oh, Lisa. <laughs> oh, I have... I, when I was first coming through OA, I would hear people talk about um, 
you know, that that they knew that there was another relapse in their future, but they didn't know if they were going to come back from it. And they said it with such certainty. And that scared me. And I did not want to have that be my truth. But unfortunately, for many years, it was. I believe it's not inevitable because I believe if we work the steps as they're written in the big book in the order that they're written, if we study it with someone in whom the problem has been solved and we do it and we do it, we do the work. And as long as I'm maintaining my spiritual fitness one day at a time, I do not believe relapse is inevitable. Is it possible? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But it does not have to be a fait accompli. It does not. It, it is my wish, my prayer, and I work the steps every day to ensure that it doesn't happen. And I, I'm going to probably misquote this, but I believe it was Dr. Bob who said basically that working with the newcomers is that much more, a little bit more insurance of his staying sober that day. And I'm always working with newcomers. I love working with newcomers. And that is, it's a little bit of insurance. So if I'm working my steps, if I'm working with newcomers, if I'm doing service, if I'm growing and enlarging my spiritual fitness on a daily basis, I don't believe it's inevitable. And I, and I say that for myself. Um, I can't say that for anyone else. And I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Lisa B. And Marie M., your question, please. Good morning, and yes, thank you, Melanie, for your service, and Laura for sharing your story. Um, how do you think the obsession was removed from you? Um, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that, how it was um, actually removed, the obsession of the mind. Thank you. Um, the how of it? Um, I did my part. I I worked the steps as my hair was on fire, as someone has said. I put down the food completely. I was entirely abstinent. That was the very first thing. That's, you know, step zero. I was entirely abstinent. I went through my food with a magnifying glass and something I had not done before. I had never really identified what my binge foods were, never identified what my binge ingredients were. So I got really clean with that, and, and I dug deep. I mean, I looked at, okay, when I go to Aunt Mary's, what's my most favorite thing I look forward to doing? You know, what is it? It's going to be eating her, I don't know. I have no idea. Fill in the blank. Um, when I go bowling, what do I look forward to? Why do I go to Arts and Crafts stairs? Well, because they got funnel cakes. Who the hell wouldn't go? You know, so I had to look at not only foods, but I had to look at situations, 
to spark my memory so that I could remember what it was, what was the focus for my going and doing that activity. And nine times out of ten, it was because there was a specific food I was going to be able to get. So that was part of it. I had to absolutely start clean. I had to be entirely abstinent. And that way I was finally, you know, as it says in the big book, a man's brain must be cleared. And so in order to, for me to work the steps truthfully, honestly, thoroughly, I had to get clean first. And once I got clean and started working these steps, it just, you know, God took care of the rest. I do my footwork, and I lead the results to God. I, I didn't have it in my mind to focus on, I have to get cleared of the obsession. I have to get cleared of the obsession. I focused on doing the steps and doing the work. That was my job. And the results were going to be up to God. And if I did my work honestly and thoroughly, and what I tell my sponsees now is if you do your work honestly and thoroughly, then you too will have the obsession lifted. It says it in the big book. And it was. So that's the how of it for me. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Kathy Kay, your question, please. Thank you, Melanie, for your service, and thank you, Mara. It was really an honor to listen to you and your story. Um, You've answered this in several ways, but I wonder if you could be more specific about how you work the steps daily. If you could just pick out a typical day and tell us what does it mean to you to work the steps today? Thank you. Thank you for that question, I think. Okay. Uh, You guys, you're a tough crowd. Um, How do I work the steps daily? Well, all right, hang on a second now. My two little brain cells are are twirling about. Um, I take step one every day. Every day, I know that I'm powerless and my life is unmanageable. I, um, I, I do pray every day. So I, by virtue of that, I've taken step two. Um, I turn my life and my will over to the care of God every day. That's step three. Um, and by doing 10 steps, and there's pretty much not a day that goes by that I don't do a 10 step. So when I do a 10 step, I'm doing four through nine. Um, I have to look at the whole thing. Now, some 10 steps I can just rattle off in a couple of, you know, minutes in my head. And, okay, I get that. All right, this is what I did. This is what I'm doing. Okay, fine, you know, and it's done. Um, sometimes I have to call somebody um, and, you know, put the put the picture of the fourth step sheet in my brain and work it from left to right. Um, and by doing that, working it with another, I'm, I'm better able to go through clearly if it's a troublesome resentment or fear and uh, identify, you know, what was my part? That's key. When it comes to resentments, what was my part is key. Um, when it comes to fears, it's 
it's key for me to know that relying on myself is useless. It's a waste of time, a waste of energy. And uh, I will find no peace if I, if I go down that road. Um, so that's four through nine and 10. Eleventh is my prayer every day. Um, I do a review in the evening um, in my head. I used to write it down, but I do it in my head now. Um, and if I've done a 10th step on something, but my little brain cells are still chewing on that thing, then I know I have not, I, I need to address it in my 11th step review. And I have to, you know, once again, pull out the sheets and go through it. Um, depending upon the hour, I may have to wait to speak to somebody the next day, or I call somebody on the West Coast. <laughs> and I say, okay, <laughs> you've got three hours <laughs> earlier than me, so can you help me with this? I don't like to hold on to them. They, holding on to fears and resentments scares me. And it's a healthy fear to have. Um, and step 12, I'm doing, I'm doing step 12 now. Every time I give service, I'm doing step 12. And I work with newcomers all the time. I'm always taking somebody new through. I am blessed to say that I have taken three, four, four. I've taken four sponsees through, and they are now recovered, and they are sponsoring. So I think that's as best a way I can say when it, how I'm working the 12 steps every day. I hope that answers your question. I hope that was enough specificity. If not, give me a call, Kathy. <laughs> Thanks, Mona. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Maura. Are there any other questions for Maura today? Lorraine E. Suji. Madam. I got Lorraine E. and Sue G. and Matt M. Anybody else? Joanne L. Gladys M. Joanne L. and Gladys F. And did I hear a Sandy? Yes, Sandy S. Okay, Sandy S. Okay, that looks like a good lineup. Let's go with those. Um, Lorraine E., your question. Uh, good morning. Thank you, everyone, for your service, um, including those people on the line. I think that counts as service also. Um, I've been out of the rooms for almost 30 years, um, back again, um, listening to Vision for the last year or so. I really have a difficult time with the disease concept. Um, it's probably self-will and ego, but it's just something that keeps me stumbling along, and I just really have a difficult time with the disease concept. Can you speak to that, please? Thanks for the question, Lorraine. Um, well, my, my gut reaction is to say that if you don't want to think of it as a disease, how do you expect to recover from it? 
and I, I know that's turning the tables on you. Not, you, you weren't expecting me to ask you a question back. Where are you in your steps, Lorraine, if I may? Lorraine, do you want to press the one? Sorry about that. I didn't realize it automatically. Excuse <laughs> me again. Um, I've gone through um, a fourth and fifth step working on my character defects, um, but I don't have a sponsor in OA. It's been difficult to find one for various reasons. Um, Okay. All right. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. So, for me, believing that it is a disease is paramount for my for my level of willingness, for my knowing the truth about myself to realizing that I can't fix this. If this was a passing phase, then I would need Overeaters Anonymous. But I'm the real deal. I'm a compulsive overeater. And left to my own devices, I will be face down in the food, and I have no doubt that I will get to a larger size than I was when I came in. The, I'm drawing a complete blank on where in the big book I can tell you page-wise, but I know that in the doctor's opinion, the concept of this being a disease is spelled out. That I, that I know for me, and that I know that what I've shared with my sponsees is if, if I don't consider this a disease, then I'm not going to be wanting to do the work because I have to get to a level of desperation. And if this is just a passing phase or if this is something I'm going to be able to fix, you know, and just getting on a diet, then there is no level of desperation. If you've been in program for 30 years, are you abstinent today? Have you been able to maintain any length of um, abstinence? Um, no. The last couple of days I've, I've picked up and I'm feeling frustrated. And I mean, I have no no um, reservations about accepting that I'm a compulsive overeater. Okay. And, and why get hung up on the word disease? Yeah. Because I'm what, I'm, what I'm hearing is, is that, and, and bear with me here, but that's your disease telling you that it's not a disease. That's your ego. See, with me, my disease and my ego, they're BFFs. Right. When one says something that I don't buy into, the other one comes up with something that I will buy into. If you're not abstinent and you've been in the room for 30 years, what do you have to lose? You know, I mean, what, I, what I'll tell folks is, if you don't believe this is right for you, then it's not right for you. 
But if you're on the fence and you're not sure and you're playing these head games with yourself, try it. Try it for a week. Try it for a month. If you don't like it, I promise you can have your old life back with all its misery, face down in the food, feelings of loneliness and despair. I promise. If you want that back, sweetheart, you can have it back. And that's, and I would love to talk with you more offline if you want to give me a call later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lorraine E. Yeah, thanks, Maura. Suji, question, please, for Maura. Hi, Maura. Thank you so much for your, your wonderful share. I was wondering... Um, Since you had, you were so angry at God, and um, it just showed, it just showed in your in your, in your tone of voice, even um, you know how angry you were. I'm wondering how you came out of that, and um, how you can see your relationship with God now. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. Gee, I appreciate that question. It was a process. It was a process. I, you know, over time, anger will dissipate or diminish. In my case, it diminished. It did not dissipate until I came into the rooms. And it didn't dissipate until I worked my fourth step. And it didn't dissipate until I worked my fifth step. I mean, you know, it just, it diminished over time. It was hard for me to take my third step because he had let me down in the biggest way possible. And now I'm deciding to turn my will and my life over to him. That was hard. But I had to separate it out. And I had to, I had to engage my brain, all two brain cells. Because I had to come to a point where I was going to say, okay, relying on myself and living in this, my sister Mary would say I was living in my shit. And, you know, staying there wasn't helping me. And I so desperately wanted help. And I so desperately needed to change where I was that I was willing to give him another chance. Again, what did I have to lose? About 55 pounds. About a, a, a world's worth of anxiety and fear and shame, loneliness, despair. That's what I had to lose. What could it hurt? So I gave him a shot. And I had to look at some things in my life. Someone asked a question at a meeting a long time ago when I was living in California. They said, they asked the audience, when in your life has God helped you before you gave him permission to do so? 
that has stuck with me ever since. Well, for me, the first answer was very quickly arrived. My father was a grand mal epileptic. And when he had a seizure, he would let out a very guttural, very loud scream that scared the poo out of a nine-year-old, okay? And I formed a fear, a phobia, if you will, of being alone with daddy. What would I do if he had a seizure? I wouldn't be able to help him because I would be paralyzed with fear. Of course, those weren't the words that came to a nine-year-old, but you get the message. Well, I had to realize when he asked that question that I had never been alone with my father, that he'd had a seizure. Never. So who did that? It wasn't me. That was God. And I have had further instances where I know he has taken care of me. When I moved from California back to Virginia, I had to figure out what day to have the movers come pack my stuff up, what day to have the uh, company come and pick up my car, what day to get my plane ticket for. I had to have all of that in place. And, and, and be able to then arrive at my, my new condo and, and how many days was I going to have a rental car and all of those pieces parts. I mean, you talk about something being dynamic and fluid. Well, so I flew out on January 4th, 2010. My car arrived on January 5th, so I paid one day of rental car. My household goods arrived on January 6th. I'm telling no lies here. So I was able to move into my condo on the 8th. And instead of paying for hotel rooms, one of my coworkers offered me the use of her over-the-garage apartment. And yes, it was okay that I brought my dog. There's nothing odd about that. That's got God written all over it. So as time goes on, I am told and I am I'm seeing and I'm hearing him taking care of me. So from there, it's easy for me to continue giving my life and my will over to him on a daily basis. I hope that helps. Thank you, Suji. Matt M., your question. Hello? Hi, Matt. Your question, please. Uh, Yeah, hi, Maura. Listen, um, I was in the food recently, up until recently, and I lost a really close primary relationship with a good friend that, uh, because I was also a liar liar and a a misnomer, and I was doing all these things that I really, it's not really who I am, but when I'm in the food, I'm a different person entirely. How do you you deal with the self-loathing and frustration that comes with uh, losing some close people in your life? Thanks for the question, Matt, but don't don't go mute yet because I'm trying to understand your question. Um, you're talking about losing close relationships because I hate myself? 
Oh, I, I, I was in the food and I lost some close relationship because I was a liar and not telling the truth to people. And my my friend didn't like lying. So how do you feel? I, after that happened, I felt such self-loathing and frustration and anger towards myself because I was in the food and it when it happened. Um, okay. Well, um, I don't have that experience. Um, except... Um, I can tell you that, yes, I have lost relationships, um, definitely because I am a compulsive overeater. Um, my husband was emotionally abusive to me, but I had my part. I gained an enormous amount of weight. I did not like myself. And so I wasn't very supportive of him in the marriage. And um, it ended in a divorce. Surprisingly, though, I was the one that went and um, and started the, the divorce proceedings. So I lost the marriage, and I grieved over the marriage. Um, and so that's the only significant relationship that I've lost when it comes to the food. Now, I certainly lost relationships with my two sisters, but that was not because of the food. That was because I was getting recovered and I was working my program and I learned that I needed to disconnect from toxic people and I wasn't in a place of forgiveness. Um, The only thing I can suggest is You've got to make a decision. You've got to, how do I say this? Um, I don't know any other way to say this, but you've got to shit or get off the pot. I had to decide, you know, was I sick and tired of being in the food? Was I sick and tired of playing around with the steps? And the answer was yes. So I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have the experience of, of I mean, even when I was, when I was back in, when I was in relapse, it was, I would have a week, I would have two weeks, and then I would go back. So I understand that routine. Um, But I was lucky in that I didn't get into binges. I would pick up something stupid and then get right back on it. And that's a blessing, and I don't, I don't have any idea, you know, I had nothing to do with that. That was God. But when I would slip or when I would succumb to the disease, because that's the proper word, it was one thing and then back on it. But I had to, regardless of volume or frequency, it's the same disease. It's how bad do you want it? And, and I heard somebody recently say it has nothing to do with willingness. Willingness is great, but doing it is the deal. I could be willing for 20 years, but unless I get off my butt and I do it and I stop lying to myself and I get real with myself and I get back to the doctor's opinion every freaking time and until you want it bad enough and need it bad enough and get to that level of desperation that no one else can give you, you're going to get stuck in that cycle. 
there's always hope because you know that if you put down the food and you ask for help on a daily basis, on an hourly basis if need be, you can have this, but you got to do it. And I don't know if that answered your question at all, Matt, but I'm happy to talk offline. Thank you, Maura. Thanks, Matt, for the question. Joanne L., you're next with your question. Hi, um, this is Joanne L. from New Jersey. Um, thank you, Maura, very much for your story. Um, I, I want to keep this short. I've been in program for many, many years and been through the steps many, many times. Um, however, I have been, uh, the disease has ruled me in the form of um, um, physical health and emotional health. And I find that when especially I'm in what, well, when I'm in one of those places, the emotions or the pain will overtake everything about working the program. Where I'm, where I am now is trying very hard to work the second part of the first step. And from your story, I heard a lot of uh, uh, pain through loss, et cetera. My question is, how, how do you work the program through immense amounts of pain? Thank you. Thank you, Joanne, for the question. Um, working the program helped me to get through the pain. Um, I'm kind of weird in that through all my years in OA, I've always liked doing a fourth step. I know that's very bizarre. But I've always liked doing a fourth step because I knew there would be relief in giving it away in a fifth step. I have an aversion to pain because I live with physical pain every day. It's just part of my life. And so... I want to, I want to, I want to get out of that painful situation as fast as I can. Um, I'm not quite sure I understand. You said something about working through the second part of the first step. My experience with the first step is that all we're doing is making an admission, so there's no work to be done on step one. Um, it's it's a decision step. So I make the decision that I am powerless over food. My life is unmanageable. There's nothing to work through. It's just admitting this is the fact of my life. So um, I, 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 I don't know if you're getting hung up in, in something that is robbing you of precious time to get through the rest of the steps. Um, the pain is there. It's not going to be relieved at step one. It will be relieved over time. As I said with me, it has diminished over time. And each step I do relieves more and more of the pain. Because each step I do brings me closer and closer to my higher power. I wasn't necessarily there until I 
got through or got to or started working on my ninth step amends. And uh, so there's, there's always pain. It's, it's part of the human, you know, reality. I decided in step one, when I took step one, that I was just going to start here and move forward and leave the results to God. I can't do it. I never could. You know, um, I don't know the page that it's on, but it's, you know, um, A, B, and C, and it's, um, I'm going to paraphrase this horribly. Somebody in the big book, Thumper World, is going to cringe when I say this, but basically it's, I am powerless, and God has all power. And he will work in my life if he is sought. And I so totally butchered that. So please forgive me, everybody. Um, If anybody wants to shout out and tell me what page that's on, I will be happy to correct it immediately. But, But basically, you know, that's... That's how I've done it. That's what has worked for me. And and I certainly hope that answers your question. Thank you, Joanne L., for your question. Gladys F., you're next with a question. Thank you, Maura. Uh, yes, can you hear me? I can. Yes. Hello. Hi. Um, what's the speaker name again? Maura. Maura. <laughs> Maura. Um, okay, I uh, I want to. Oh, Laura. Okay, it's like it's like ask, Laura, but with an M. But go ahead. Oh, I'm Laura. Sorry, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Okay, well, my question is is um, after you um, called your sponsor to talk to her about the cookie situations or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, when you. If she, if you went back to step one, I mean not step one, the doctor's opinion. I have a two-part question. What exactly did you like? Was it something that you saw or looked at that maybe helped you help you with your abstinence? And then the other part. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go into part two, I need to understand part one. Okay. When you so when could you, you went. Please. You say you went back to the doctor's opinion, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, was this was this something in particular that you saw in the doctor's opinion that helped you uh, to understand the uh, allergy of the body and the disease more? That's the first question. After I, after I succumbed after the cookies and the frozen yogurt and yes. I... And I and I called my my sponsor and I went back to actually we went back to the title page. Um, was there something different that I saw um, that I had taken my will back, that I had been living in denial, that I um, started to um, think I knew better than you know. What my, my what my dietitian had told me to be eating, 
I, I thought I knew better that, you know, I'm, I, I have arrived. I am recovered. I can do this. I'm cool. I'm neutral around the food, and this is not going to bother me. Um, you know, it's, there was, there's a place in the big book. Um, hang on a second. You know, all was going fine for a while, right? Page 35, all went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that I could have sugar-free frozen yogurt. I had failed to enlarge my spiritual life because I had failed to do 10 steps as often as was needed, and I had failed to do 11 steps. So, I mean, and, and I knew that piece before I had to go back to the doctor's opinion. I knew it. I knew that's what it was. So it was my ego that had been exerting itself. And I had to tell it to shut the bleep up and let me get back down to reality. I hope that answers your first question. Yes, it did. And you you tapped into the second part, too. But what I wanted to ask you about the 10th, 11th, 11th step, because that's where I started. You know, I guess ego tripping too um, is what did you do to make it like easier for you to do ten and eleven? Because when I got to that point, I got overwhelmed with ten and uh, eleven and twelve, basically. And I still feel that overwhelmed. You know, my sponsor tell me now, you know, to do the. Pissed up because I had like a, a build up of emotional that I wasn't doing the right. ten step. So what's got you overwhelmed? The build up of emotion or doing a ten step? Uh, I think doing the ten step because so you like living with the emotions. I've... You like living with the build up of emotions. The no, deal about I... doing ten steps is this. The deal about doing ten steps is this is. And it's the same with whether or not you do the program or not. It's when the pain of being in the food is outweighed by the desire to get well, you will get well. But as long as the desire to live in the pain is greater, you're going to live in the pain. If you really want to get well and you really want to be relieved of that fear or resentment or whatever it is, that emotional buildup, then you're going to do something about it. If you really want to have that connection with God, if you really want to live in 10, 11, and 12, then you have to live in 10, 11, and 12. I was lying to myself. I was saying, yeah, I was living in 10, 11, and 12. No, you weren't, Zimmerman. You were doing 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3. And, you know, considering yourself having arrived. I, I don't mean to sound terse um, or flippant. Um, it's just the reality of this disease in my life. Right. If I'm going to be namby-pamby about it, it's going to kick me from here to Sunday. 
I understand exactly what you're saying, and I appreciate your story because it, you know, happened, uh, it helps me to see the truth about me, your story. So uh, thank you for your honesty so much. Thank you. Thank you for your question, Gladys. All right. Yep, thank you very much. Sandy S., your question, please. Star one, Sandy S. Oh, there you are. Good morning. Your question, please. Not very well. Are you um, on speaker or something? Or let me just check. Hold on. Okay. Traveling, maybe. Traveling. I'm not on speaker. Okay. Just speak louder or something. We can catch you. (laughs) Yeah. Two questions. One. How have you, if you can give me a practical example, the most difficult thing for me is the overwhelming fear. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm afraid of, but I can feel this fear. You know, I've shared it before, and I'm on the fourth step, and I'm actually working on the fear part about asking God to remove the fear and what he would have me do. Um, you know, I'd appreciate an example of that. I've had long-term abstinence by the grace of God. I have not felt happy, joyous, and free, and that's what I would love to feel. And the second part is, can you just... Wait, 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 wait. Don't don't go to second part yet. Okay. I'm trying to... Under, i got to understand the first question first there. Remember, I only got two active brain cells here, so we're working one at a time. Great. The, the first one... How, how, did, how do you... If you could just discuss the most intense fear you've ever had and how you, the program, this step, how God removed it from you and directed your attention to, to something that was within his will. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, I don't know that I've ever rated my fears, Sandy. <laughs> They're all just fears. Um, so just working through my fourth step got rid of a lot of them and and then as they come up working my tenth step I'm not quite sure I, I hear you're saying you're in your fourth step now and how long have you been working on your fourth step About um, nine days. I'm almost at the end. I'm going to be doing the fifth step on Tuesday. Oh, good. I, but just all I wanted to know is, I mean, this is what it's about for me. I know God made me abstinent, and I, I, I really question God. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to believe, but I'm looking for evidence. You know, when I came into OA, I saw people were abstinent. What I need to see now is that people have been relieved of fear, you know. And if you could just give one example in your life and you feel God has relieved you of fear. I know you gave the example this morning with the talk, and that was really good. I was just wondering if there are any other examples of you feeling the fear removed and the trust in God, like this. 
Uh, did you hear my reference to doing a 10-step this morning about speaking this morning? Yes. That's the best one I can give you. That's the most recent. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't think of one fear greater than another. As I'm, as I'm able to turn them over, at that moment, that one fear is my greatest fear. So when I'm able to turn it over and do a 10-step and give it to God, and he relieves me of it, then that's my greatest fear at the moment, and it's been relieved by God. Um, I, I, okay, I hope that helps. It did. And just one other question is just what is your concept of a higher power? Because I really think that's at the root of my difficulty with this fear is really trusting that there is a higher power that's going to remove the fear and direct my attention. Um, well, I'll tell you, I, I can tell you that real quickly, but then I really think we need to move on to see if there's somebody else that has a question. Um, so my concept of a higher power is that he is pure energy. And I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan, but I picture the crystalline entity. And if you want to know more about that, call me offline. But God is pure energy, and it cannot be destroyed, and it cannot be created. So that's my impression. That's what God is for me. Thank you. Okay. Thank, thank you, Sandius. Thank you for your answer, Maura. Let's go with the last go-around of invitation for folks that would have a question for Maura. Is there, are there any other questions out there before we close for the day? This is Tara. Um, Hi, this is Carol. I got a question. Hi, Kay. And did I hear who Charles else did I hear? Sylvia. Sylvia also came in. I just had a quick question. Thank you. Sylvia, and then I heard Charles, and then I heard Carol Lee. Anybody else? Well, that sounds like a good number to round out our day today. So I have Tara Kay. Sylvia L, Charles H, and Carol E D, I think. That is, if I remember correctly. Tara, go ahead with your question first. Well, my question is actually what um, Maura requested was somebody to jump in and um, read <laughs> or, or mention the, the quote that she was that she was so beautifully um, putting into her words. <laughs> you are kind. <laughs> It's page 60, and it's the ABCs, um, you know, the A that we were out Got you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tara. Yeah, I forgot my question, so go on with the others. <laughs> well, well, then maybe we have a question? To yourself. I, I can't remember it, so. <laughs> oh. Should have written it down. Having a senior moment. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, everyone. <laughs> We don't do this alone. We help each other. Thank you, Tara. Sylvia oh L., God. your question, please. <laughs> Sylvia, star one, please. Oh, sorry. I was talking to myself. Uh, um, 
Thank you so much for that beautiful share. And I just wanted to ask you, how long did it take you to do step nine? Oh, wow. Uh, holy cow. Um, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea. Am I allowed to give that as an answer? <laughs> <laughs> I stumped you, huh? <laughs> you did. Um, because here's the thing about working my program. You know, when I, used, when I was first in program, I used to count days of abstinence. I don't count anything anymore. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't, and I'm a numbers person. person. So I'm used to counting everything. I'm used to measuring everything. I'm used to, you know, how many minutes, is, you know, and, and all of that. But when I was working with someone in whom this problem had been solved, I stopped counting. So it took me as long as it took. That's all I could say. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair enough because I'm going through my step nine now. And um, it takes a lot of courage to do this. And uh, so I was just wondering. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day today. Well, you too. But but Sylvia, also, if you've taken step eight, yes, you've made a list of all the persons you had harmed. Yes, and became willing to make amends. Yes. So in step nine. Now we are going to act on that willingness. Yes. And all I can tell you is I don't know if you've I don't know if you've made any of your nine step amends yet. Yes, I did. But okay. So have they been positive experiences? Yes, they have been. Absolutely, huh? Then you hang on to that, and that that will propel you to do the rest of them. Thank you so Each much. Each amends for that. I made. Each amends I made got me closer to God because I knew that as I was making them and they were turning out okay or they were turning out good that he had been with me the whole time. And all that did was strengthen my trust and faith. Very true. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thank you for the question. Thank you, Sylvia. Charles H. We're ready for your question. Thank you. Thank you for your um, service this morning, Marzi. Um, I have a question. Um, we all know that, you know, the numbers in OA is dwindling at an alarming rate. Um, so my question to you is, um, other than the fact that newcomers are scared and they think they can't get in and all that stuff, do you, do you believe that um, recovered people um, – uh, sometimes have a condescending spirit which drives newcomers away, which um, that's, you think that has a percentage um, of why always is, is, is not thriving at the rate um, that it could be? I think the first answer to your question is yes, absolutely, because I used to be one. The second part of your question is, do I think that that has an effect? It likely does. What percentage? I haven't a clue. 
I will tell you that I do know the numbers are shrinking because, as I said, I just came back from um, World Service. And whatever it is that we're doing that's working, we need to start repeating exponentially. Um, but yes, absolutely. And I was one of those snarky, arrogant uh, sponsors when I was first in program. Absolutely. I mean, you do. I mean, even like in, I don't mean to cut you off, I apologize. You know, yeah. even like in, in New York City, when I go to face-to-face meetings, there's a lot of, you know, um, other races going in, and, and they're just like, they're just turned off. You know, I, I went to Intergroup, and it was just like condescending, condescending spirit on steroids. And if I was a newcomer, I would not go back to Overeaters Anonymous. As an African American, I just was felt so uncomfortable, and I've been in OA for a couple of years, or you know, a few years. So, I just wanted to get your take on that. Well, first of all, that saddens me greatly because I'm a fellow New Yorker, and I absolutely get really pissed off when New Yorkers act that way. So, shame on them. Um, and I'm also a member of OA, and I get really, I'm really upset when fellow OAs act that way. But as I've heard it many times before. I can't change anybody else. I can be the best example of a big book anybody sees. I have to accept what I don't like. And I want to change things. You know, Gandhi said it, be the change you want to see in the world. So model really good behavior. Model the best OA member behavior you've got. I've dealt with prejudice. It's painful and it sucks. And all I could do is just to remain true to myself. It's hard as hell, you know, to go up against the man, to go up against, you know, the establishment. And, you know, always like any other organization, we got some great personalities and we got some real bleep bleeps. And it's killing me to use all these bleep bleeps because I am so not a bleep bleep person. <laughs> but I'm trying to be good here. But, you know, what does Harlan say? The best thing we can do is to recover, recover, recover. And, that, and I don't mean that flippantly. But I mean it like there are meetings here in my local intergroup that are sorry excuses for an OA meeting. So what am I doing about it? I'm sitting on my butt at home. I'm not getting off my ass. I'm not going to those meetings. I'm not being the big book that they made only say one time. So it's what we can do. And remember like that, that just for today reading, you know, we do what we can when we can. We can't fix it all. But when we see something that's not right, we can do something about it. We are a member. Every member has the same voice. So if something's going on in a meeting that goes against the tradition, it behooves us to speak up. I'm a big tradition person. I'm all about the traditions. And I have gotten a lot of people really pissed off at me when I will say something in a meeting, when I will cut somebody off and say, that's an outside issue. I got slammed for doing it on this phone meeting. I will do it. I will continue to do it. If somebody, if the moderator, and I won't do it on this line because I've gotten slammed, but if they're in a face-to-face -face meeting, if the leader does not address it, I will address it. And I don't care who hates me. 
but I need my OA meetings to be in existence. And the only way they're going to stay in existence is if I'm doing my part to ensure it continues. And I don't know if that answers your question, Charles, and I'm happy to talk about it offline if you want to. I'm always happy to talk to another New Yorker. Thanks, That's Charles, for your question. <laughs> Thank you, Maura. Our last question for today for you, Maura, is from Carol D. Carol Lee D. Carol Lee D., are you still on the line? Star one. Yes, I'm here. Hi, Carol Lee. Your question, please, for Maura? <laughs> yes, Laura. Um, I've listened to the whole meeting, and uh, thank you so much for your share. Um, I guess my question is, uh, I'm a, a newcomer, you might say. I started uh, OA the first time last June, I guess. And uh, I, for me, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do, personally, for me. The 12 steps, and I, um, a little history here, I've done the steps, and um, right now, I'm in relapse, I guess you could call it, I don't know what it's called, but anyway, I'm not, I'm looking for a new sponsor, but anyway, um, it's awesome. The 12 steps for me is, um, I know it's the way my higher power wants me to go, they're awesome, but I have difficulty understanding them. It's almost like they're so simple, but yet hard for me. And I just struggle with all this. Um, I don't Can have you give a problem. Me an example? With, um, yes, I don't have a problem uh, being willing in my higher power. But I guess I've done a four step. But then um, I think it's just that I'm still in denial. And I do. I'm trying to get it in my head that it is a disease. For me, I realize that if I keep. I love what you said about when the pain isn't as doesn't get greater than the eating. And I guess <clears throat> I'm liking the pain. But I also know my higher power has a freedom for me. I know that for me in my heart and soul. And I want to be free so bad. And um, I just don't know. I just, uh, if anyone else is struggling out there, it's just, um, and I don't believe, but for me, anybody's higher power is greater than mine. I think he's universal or she or however your higher power is. And no one's better than the other person. I totally believe that. Because if we don't work these steps, we're going to be out in food because I'm a compulsive eater. So I guess what I want to say, did you, was it so hard for you also? It just seems like I struggle so much. If you can just, um, and it seems like I've listened to a lot of people online and they have like segments of their recovery. You know, they'll go a while and then they're gone out there for two or three years or whatever. It's just that it's such such a sneaky, devastating disease. I hate it. I hate it. And uh, thank you for letting me share. I guess it's kind of general. I don't know if you can talk a little bit on it. And yes, some people are very arrogant, I feel like, in the program. That, oh, I've got it, and you need to do this. Well, I was in a program before OA, and it was all about the food. Well, I realize now it's not about the food. I realize that. But um, I still, I don't know, I still have problems. Okay, thank you for sharing. Thank you. Um, Carol Lee, I'm going to try to address what you just said, but I'm sure I'm going to miss a couple of pieces, parts. Um, there was a lot in there. 
um, one of the first things I heard you say was that you didn't understand. What is it that you don't understand? Can you just pinpoint that one idea for me? Yes. I think for me, God is just, my higher power, this is just too difficult. I mean, he has worked What's in my life difficult? before. What's too difficult? Why he would take my disease, this disease, but I call it pleasure when you're out there, and make me have to, I want to say, suffer so bad. Not suffer, but be in bondage. Is I can't think of another word. But what is so difficult is you do this every day. You mentioned it. You told what you did. I wrote it down. We in OA have to do this every day. Every day. I've yes, heard it so much. But how yes, many people are willing to do this every day? We have a life. Everyone has a life. You know, we have things. Do you have a life? Wait, wait. There's my, there's my entrance right there. You just gave it to me. Okay. Sarah Lee, do you have a life? No, because I'm stuck with this stupid okay. thing. Okay. So you just Thank answered you. your question. You just answered your question. You don't have a life. I had no life when I was in the food. I had no life when I was in OA and in the food. I had no life when I was in OA and abstinent only. It's a choice. Do you want to stay in that pain or do you want to grab onto the only thing? No, I'll take that back. Do you want to grab onto something that may very well help you get out of the pain and the feelings of overwhelm. Just Probably to try not. it. Just to yes. try it. If you're not in enough pain to try it, then that's your answer. Oh, I've tried it different times. I uh, did, did you good. do it? Yes, I did. Did you do it? Okay. I did for Were you life. entirely abstinent? Yes. Okay. Well, because no, I'm no. thinking. No, no. I lied. There I lied. you go. There you go. That's the answer. <laughs> That's Thank the you, answer, Carolee. We have to be entirely abstinent. Okay. Because remember, my disease is in my head, and if my disease, if in, and if my head is in disease, how could I possibly go to my head to cure what's wrong with my head? That's good. Mm -hmm. I can't. The first thing you have to, first thing I have to do is I have to be entirely abstinent. Like it's been said, this is not a program for people who want it or need it. This is a program for people who do it. And you're right. You don't have a life. You're, you're sitting here and you are lamenting that you, don't have, that you have a life and how are you expected to be doing all of this? I have a life too. Well, but you just said you don't have a life. Yes. Working this program, first and foremost, has given me a life, I'm sorry to be cliche, beyond my wildest dreams. Beyond my wildest dreams. I could not have dreamed about this life if I was on LSD. <laughs> it would not have happened. I was going to be a lonely, old maid, well, divorcee, sitting alone with 42 cats, you know, or I was going to be homeless and be a bag lady. But there was never going to be joy in my house. 
in my heart. I experience joy on a fairly regular basis. Now, my life is not perfect. I just started a new business, and, and I am spending money, and I've not gotten my first client yet. So, you know, that's a 10-step I do every day, you know. But I do this because I know for me it works. And as I told someone else earlier, Carolee, if you do this, you give this a month of absolute thorough honesty. You work with a sponsor who is recovered. You work first to get completely clean. You have that sponsor help you identify all of your alcoholic foods and ingredients. You do that first. You have to have that solid foundation. And then you kick butt. You, you kick on the afterburners. You kick butt. You do this work. You do this for a month. If you're not seeing any progress, you can leave and you can, I promise you, have your old life back. It's waiting there for you. It's a choice we have to make. It comes down to choices. Because I now have a choice. When I was in my disease, I used to say sugar was my drug of choice. I have since learned, because of this biological mandate, there was no bleeping choice, Carolee. There was none. I was going to pick up. So do it, honestly, thoroughly, correctly, with the recovered sponsor for 30 days. What do you got to lose? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Carolee, for your question. Thank you, Maura, for your answering of those questions today. And I want to also sincerely tell you thank you for offering so much of your story to us this morning. Knowing how this recovery through the big book affects a life is tremendously shown through the example that you shared today. It's just a very touching, touching moment. We will get, um, hopefully, <laughs> I know that you will, uh, Maura's contact information after we have concluded the, the meeting here today, as I mentioned. But let's close this meeting like we always do our meetings with a reading of page 164 of the big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past and give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as we tread the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you 